0: Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church, Owasso, Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. What do you consider to be evil? Or maybe, who is it that when I ask that question pops into your mind? While we all might come up with different answers, and some of us might say there are none who are evil, the presence of evil and those who practice it are evident here in Psalm 52. David is writing about Doeg and Saul and the evil which they committed. But to understand this evil, we need to look to the book of 1 Samuel in chapters 21 through 22 to understand this story. You can turn there if you'd like, but I recommend you read it after the service. I'll give you the Sparknotes version. But at this time, the first king of Israel, Saul, ruled. And the shepherd boy, David, had gained great fame and status in the kingdom and had had become Saul's armor bearer. And over time, Saul grew jealous of David and he planned to have David killed. Now, when David found out about this, he fled and found his way to the town of Nob. It was a village, mainly of priests from the tribe of Benjamin. And as David seeks refuge there, the priest Ahimelech decides to help out David by feeding him bread from the temple. And he also gives him the sword of Goliath, which was held in that very same temple to arm him. Now, during these events, Doeg, who was the chief of Saul's herdsmen, was in the temple and he witnessed all this. He witnessed Ahimelech helping out David. And we're told that in the very next chapter, Doeg went to Saul and told him all that he had seen. And when Saul learned of this, he had Ahimelech and 84 of the other priests brought to him. And he interrogated them and asked them, why would you help David? And when Ahimelech defends David in front of Saul, Saul orders that the priests be killed. Now Saul's men were too afraid to kill these men of God, so Doeg volunteers and we're told that he kills not only all 85 of them, but he goes back to the town of Nob and he kills all the men, all the women, all the children, even the animals there. We find out that one of Ahimelech's sons, Abiathar, escapes and he makes his way to find David and he tells him all that had happened and he warns him about Saul, that Saul is coming for you. Saul means business, and it's here at this moment when David is confronted with the evil of Doeg and Saul, and he writes Psalm 52. And as we explore this psalm together today, I want to invite you to think about it with me through the lens of three different points. One, the evil, two, the justice, and three, the weight. So that is one, the evil, two, the justice, and three, the weight. first of all, the evil. I asked you just a few moments ago, what is it that you consider to be evil? Now, for some of you, the answer came to you right away. That's probably, be, probably because you have a standard of good and evil, or the word evil was used to teach you about certain people or ideologies or events in world history. But another way I ask the question is, who is it that you consider to be evil? For some of you, maybe it's somebody in your life who has hurt you deeply. Someone who has hurt one of your loved ones. For others, it might be a certain person in history that you learned about growing up. For some, you might think about some of the, someone on the other side of the political spectrum from you, and you consider their desires and their beliefs to be evil. Maybe some of you think about people who've committed certain crimes, and that those, those are the evil ones, but others of you struggle a bit. You hesitate to label someone as evil because evil is a strong word, and you may not believe that there really are those who practice evil. But David here in Psalm 52 is very sure that evil exists, and he has just seen it in the persons of Doeg and Saul and the slaughter of 85 priests and an entire town of people who were innocent. Their only crime was being kind to David. David describes the evil in this way. In verses one through four, he says, "'Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? "'The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, oh deceitful tongue. To David, the evil man boasts, and he is proud of his evil. He is destructive, he is deceitful, he hates good, he loves lying, his evil devours. To David, evil is the opposite of truth and what is good. The evil man stands in opposition to the steadfast love of God, or in other words, evil is what God is not. The evil man chooses deceit over truth, delights in evil instead of good, the things of the world instead of the things above. And all throughout scripture, we are warned of this reality of evil on this earth. Paul tells us in Romans 12 to abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. He later says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 8 that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Loving God is the opposite of loving evil. Evil is something that we're warned about in Scripture so often because in our sin, we can so easily fall prey to choosing against God and to choosing evil. And the best example of evil in Scripture is he who is often called the evil one. He's described by Jesus in John 8 as a murderer from the beginning. He is the father of lies. Satan is evil, for he is not only turned from God, but he works to turn others from God as well. He spreads lies, and he deceives, and he destroys. And I know that when I mention Satan, that some of us are quick to scoff or to roll our eyes and to think of the man in the red suit with the horns and the pointy tail, and he likes to poke people, right? But that's not the description we see of Satan in scripture. He is the embodiment of evil and desires to draw us into evil as well. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But unfortunately, we can be so quick to write off evil and to write off Satan and to act as if neither exists. And yeah, yeah, sure, evil exists for David in that situation, but nah, does it really exist for us? Now, growing up, my dad used to play a musical artist named Keith Green. Green was a Christian singer in the 70s and put out some amazing songs, but one I really enjoy is called No One Believes in Me Anymore. The song is sung from the perspective of Satan, who is absolutely thrilled that people have started to believe that he doesn't exist. And it makes the job, his job, of turning people over to evil all the more easy. Here are some lyrics from that song. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour, they're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. Now, why am I telling you this? Why am I reading off lines from the song? Why am I talking about Satan in regards to Psalm 52? It's because of this, it is important for us to acknowledge that evil is real. The attraction of the deceiver and the wickedness of the deceived is a reality for this world, and it is that evil that David is discussing in Psalm 52. Again, it may be about David's specific experience, but we would be wrong to think that we won't encounter evil in our lives. Evil is at work. It is. It can easily ensnare as sure as it ensnared Saul and Doeg in 1 Samuel. And we can't understand the rest of this passage until we understand that David's lament about evil men is not a unique problem for him. It is a problem, and it's a reality for us as well. For David, it is the evil of a jealous King Saul who orders the death of hundreds of innocent people for their kindness, and it's the evil of Doeg who volunteers willingly to betray these men, women, and children and to kill them by his own hands. For us... It is the lies, the greed, the corruption, the war, the idolatry. It is the delight of men and women who turn away from God and revel in their evil. It is those who take God's word and truth and they twist it for their personal gain and to justify their sins. Point one, the evil, it exists. Evil is what God is not. There are those who practice evil and there will be those who do evil to us or our loved ones. And how do we respond to that? If we are victims of evil, or our loved ones are victims of evil, or we see evil being practiced in the world, we rightly might get angry about it. And we rightly desire retribution. We desire revenge. But David here tells us of something better than revenge. Point two, the justice. From 2008 to present, Marvel superhero movies have had a hold on the box office. In the 2010s, half of the highest grossing movies in that decade were all Marvel films. Now, I've been a fan of Marvel since I was a kid, and I think I know that the draw of superhero stories is this. There is a clear villain who does evil, and there is a clear superhero who does good, and by the end of the movie, the good superhero defeats the evil villain. Justice is the core of superhero movies. There are, as of today, 32 Marvel movies that have been made, and every single one of them have been a box office success. And I think the reason the world fell in love with Marvel movies is because we love these stories of justice, of good beating evil. But the historical account of Doeg and Saul in 1 Samuel and David here in Psalm 52 does not fit the mold of what we might hope for when we read stories about good triumphing over evil. If we were going to tell a story, if we were making this up, and we wanted it to be as intriguing as a Marvel movie, we wanted it to do well at the box office, the story might go like this. David finds out about the evil of Doeg and Saul, and along with the Ahimelech's son and the sword of Goliath that was given to him by the fallen priests, he storms with his mighty men and he brings down Doeg and he takes down Saul and ends the reign of the evil king. That would be the great story. That would be the one that would sell. But that is not the story we get. David here in Psalm 52 does foretell of justice, but not the justice that he can earn. Verses five through seven, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear. And shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. We have to understand that David had witnessed an extreme evil. Not only had the man who had helped him been murdered, but a whole village of innocent people had been put to death merely because David visited their town. I cannot imagine the guilt and the shame and the anger that David must have felt. And we know that David could have sought revenge. He was strong enough. He had people that would help him. He could have done all the things that I said. He could have stormed into Saul's tent. He could have ended Saul's reign. He could have done it. But notice what David does not say in this passage. David does not say, I will break you down. I will pay you back for your evil. I will uproot you. He says that God will bring justice on you, Doeg and Saul. God's justice will be so severe that there will be no doubt among the believers that God is just. And the question for us then is to ask, is there any doubt within you that God is just? Are you willing to accept that God's justice is better than the justice that you could give out? Now listen, I understand that there are people in here who have been hurt by great evil, You have seen evil done in this world by the rich and the powerful, and your desire for vengeance comes out of a good place of wanting to see evil defeated and goodness triumph. That is a good desire. But do not be mistaken that true vengeance is something that you or that I can achieve. It's just not. Paul tells us in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. David had a faith that transcended his own desire for revenge because he believed that he had a God who was good, a God who was just, and a God who could never and will never stand aside and watch evil win. But how do we know this? Because God already did something about evil. Our faith in God's goodness and justice is not based on word alone, but it's based also in the actions of Christ. The victory over sin was won by Christ on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Evil is not an enemy that stands a chance. Evil has an expiration date. David knew this. He believed it. He believed that he did not have to return murder for murder, that he did not have to return evil for evil. David knew that God is just and that God would bring justice. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you is that our faith might be like David's, that we might take refuge in the knowledge that God, the God who won victory over evil is sure to bring justice as well. Point two, the justice. There will be justice because our God is just. So to recap, point one was about the evil. Evil exists and it is what God is not. Point two, the justice. There will be justice over evil because our God is just. So then what are we to do? Point three, the wait. We see a present evil in this world and we know that God is sure to bring justice down upon that evil. So how are we supposed to live in this tension of Christ already being the victor, but God not yet laying down the final justice against sin? Again, as we turn to David in Psalm 52, we see his decision of what he is to do, verses eight and nine. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. David says this, I am like a green olive tree. Now, olive trees are some of the longest living trees in the world. The average lifespan of an olive tree is between 300 and 600 years. The oldest olive tree is thought to be between 3,000 and 5,000 years old. Olive trees won't start producing olives for up to six years after they reach maturity. And it takes up to 50 years after they're fully grown for them to start producing the maximum amount of olives that they possibly can produce olive trees are a patient tree. And to David, the olive tree is the symbol of his waiting. David is saying he is ready and willing to plant himself firmly and patiently in the house of God where he can grow and he can strengthen and he can be nourished, knowing that the burden of defeating evil does not rest on his shoulders, but in the power of the just and mighty and righteous and good God that he serves and he loves. David says, There is an evil. God will do something about that. And knowing that, I will faithfully wait. David was able to rest in the fact that God will show justice. God would show justice against Doeg and justice against Saul, even if David did not get to have a hand in that justice. Why? Because he believed that God is just, he knew it to be true. Do you? Do you wait for God's justice or do you seek your own? I worry often about Christians in this country and the way that we think we are fighting evil and the way that we feel like we are seeking justice. I see too many of us spouting hatred against each other on social media. Too many Christians shouting and screaming at people to change their ways. Too many Christians thinking that the solution to evil in this country can just be solved through the ballot box that if we just force enough people to live like us, to believe like us, if we just elect enough Christians into office that we might defeat evil and wickedness in the United States. And I'm not saying that some of those things might not be better. I'm saying that our hope is not in what we can establish for ourselves. No amount of effort on our parts will end in evil that we face. And often in our efforts, we end up turning to the same evil that we hope to destroy. And look, I'm not advocating that you stop working against the evil that you see. I'm not saying that. David fought battles for God. David conquered Jerusalem in God's name. David reigned as a king after God's own heart. David did seek good, but David was not misguided in that he believed he could be the judge and the savior that the world needed. David was content to wait. To be as patient as an olive tree planted in the house of God, waiting for God to do what God always does and to be good and to be just and to show his wrath against evil. So then what are we to do? In short, we wait. And as we wait, we practice the greatest commandments of God, which is this, love God and love others. And when you go to make that post on social media, when you have a chance to seek revenge for the evil done to you, when evil rears its ugly face in your life and in in the world and you see it, be like the olive tree planted in the house of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and in faith and thankfulness, trust in the God who is just and who is sure to defeat evil, just as sure as he has already gained victory over sin and death. I want to end with this story one of my seminary professors told me, which illustrates how we are supposed to live in this tension between Jesus's victory and the remaining existence of evil. It's a true story, and it goes like this. There was a man named Farrar Byrne who lived off the coast of Bellingham, Washington. And he lived on an island in a group of islands there. And now Byrne was an artist who worked with wood. And one day as he was sitting on the beach, he looked offshore and he saw a floating piece of Alaskan cedar. And that is a very rare and valuable piece of wood. But he knew that if he was going to go out and get it, there was a very good chance that the current was going to turn. And in in between these islands, if the current turns, it is strong and it could take him away from shore. But he decided it was worth it. So he got in his boat, and he rowed out there, and as he hooked the piece of Alaskan cedar onto his boat, just as sure as he thought it was going to happen, the current turned. And though he wanted to go north back towards home, the current took him swiftly south. And for 12 hours, from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m., he had to row north against the current that was taking him more and more south. And sure enough, as morning dawned and the current changed, it started to take him back north and he was able to row safely and go back home. Now the point of the story is this. In this life, the current is often against us. The evil of this world flows strong against Christianity. The evil one goes against Christians. It goes against faith in God. But our job is not to change the current. We can't. We're not strong enough. Our job is to keep rowing and to wait for the current to change. Right now, for many of us, it might feel like the current is against us, and for many of us, yes, it is. Row faithfully in the right direction and know that the sure promise of the gospel is that Christ will return and that evil will be undone and the current will flow in the right direction again and it will bring us home. Please pray with me.